Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I am very excited to be back with you another week, bringing you another guest as the show continues on. And uh, wow, we're over 100 episodes doing well. This is the first show I am recording from my new apartment that I just moved to. This one's a little noisier, so it's a little more challenging, but I think I can take care of that. Uh, Instant Dialogue Cleaner uh, IDC by Audionamics has been absolutely wonderful. No, this is not an ad. Uh, Just want to say thanks to those guys. They have made such an amazing product that has made such a huge difference in the quality of the audio of my show. And uh, if anyone's using it or not using it and they're doing audio of any kind, use it because it's really awesome. Um, What's going on? So, yeah, so I just moved. And uh, I'm still living out of boxes because it's all stuff I don't really care about that much. I haven't really unpacked the kitchen yet because I I started yesterday and I'm like, you know, really don't feel like doing this right now. So I did like a quarter of it and the rest can wait. And uh, everything else is just kind of in boxes. I'm really not in a rush because there are more important things for me to take care of, like bringing you this podcast, which I'm doing right now. So here's what's going on. I uh, heard that my friend Joshua Note was doing, uh, bringing back his podcast, The Note Show. And I listened to the first couple episodes. I'm like, wow, this is really good. I really like this. His guests are really great. And so I I, uh, I sent him a note and I said, hey, would you come on my show? And he said, yes, would you come on my show? And I said, yes. And so this weekend we recorded dual episodes. So we recorded this episode and then... Uh, took a water break and then turned around and recorded his show. So uh, his show will be on on Saturday and I'm very excited uh, to be a guest on his show. It's a really great show. He's got some great guests on there and uh, he's a really good interviewer as as well as an interviewee. And uh, what I did not know when he and I recorded was that this is actually the first time he's been interviewed. So that is like super cool. And uh, he did great. It's a great interview. He's such a dynamic and creative guy. He's been through a lot. And it's uh, it's great to be able to talk about some of these things that, uh, you know, he, he's brought to light. He just wrote an article about bipolar disorder, which he suffers from. He was sadly misdiagnosed and uh, went without proper treatment for a while. And man, he's making a hell of a comeback. And I'm so proud of him. He's really hung in there. He's, he's putting stuff out for people and uh, he's making it happen. And he's writing a book. And uh, one thing that um, we we talked about after after we were done recording both shows that we didn't get to is this video game that he's working on. So uh, this is really super cool. It's a game that he is developing with friends from Australia, England, and here in the United States in a startup called Primary Trigger. And I don't know much about the game yet, but it is a horror-based game for the PlayStation 5 that's going to be apparently a a whole new way of playing games. And that is super exciting because for those of us that have watched the progression of video games uh, all the way from Pong to what we have now in my lifetime has really been amazing. And uh, to see the technology grow, the the playability grow, the reality of these games grow and the intensity uh, it's really pretty amazing, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what the next wave is, and it's really cool that he's a part of creating that. So uh, we'll uh, we'll have the information as it comes available. I don't know how far along they are, but it's definitely something that he has in the works, and that is super cool. So very cool, excited for you, and uh, 
not much else to talk about. I've got um, a single that I'm working on uh, for release, or I should say re-release. It's an updated version of a song that came out, um, oh, I don't know, like 10 plus years ago and got some radio play, which I was really happy about and uh, doing a newer updated version of it. And then uh, as soon as that's done, I'm going back to working on the uh, new album that I'm hoping to have out around uh, mid to end of July. And this is uh, it's it's not a, a re-release per se, because when I used to release albums, they were however many songs I wrote that would fit on an album. I would just release them. So it didn't matter what they were, whether they were rock, classical, new age, instrumental, whatever. I would just, okay, I wrote enough minutes worth of music and I'm going to release it as an album. So I was really tempted to keep the first one the same. You know, this is called Origins. It's the beginning of everything. But the more I listened to that collection of songs, I realized that it just didn't work together. So uh, I, I've sort of looked at all the songs that I've done on these albums and rearranged them for uh, updated releases. Kelly is uh, working on the album cover art, which I'm sure will be absolutely stunning. I've loved everything that she's done. And uh, it's going to have new uh, quality sounds, new writing. I'm reorchestrating some of the parts and really just kind of modernizing it to where I am now, because it doesn't really make a lot of sense to release an album of how skilled I was 20 years ago. Some of these songs are, are 30 years old and it, it makes more sense to just say, here's where I am now. The, the sound quality is better. Some of these were written on a Casio keyboard. Some were written on a Korg sequencer. Um, but in, and with the sounds that I'm producing now, it just sounds like it's a step back. And if I'm going to update that, then I should also update the writing a little bit. And I've really been pleased with the way some of these have come out. At first, I found it difficult because everything is just so stuck in my head and there's no one to sort of get me out of that space. So when I would listen to a song and try to change them, ah, it doesn't really go that way. That doesn't really fit because everything sounds foreign because I've been listening to these songs for, you know, 20, 30 years. So uh, in, in the process of all that, I found some new ways to present the songs that keeps the integrity of the song, but kind of modernizes the the sound, the writing, the quality of them. And I'm also a much better engineer than I was back then. So the the sonic quality of them and and the mastering is is going to be so much better. So the the few songs that I've already started, um, I've already released one actually, it's available on Amazon, iTunes, all that called Dreamscape. That was the really the first uh, instrumental song that I wrote that sent me on this uh, path of new age music that was really inspired um, by the music of Patrick O'Hearn. And I talk a little bit about that on uh, Joshua's show. But uh, yeah, it's it's time to get one of these albums out there. And uh, I'm excited to uh, continue working on those as soon as this single is done. Not sure exactly what the release date of the single will be, but I'll tell you when I know. Because why would I hide that? That's just stupid. But the album, hopefully mid to late July, should be out. I uh, hope everyone is staying safe as of the release of this episode or or me, I guess, uh, recording this intro. We are still in lockdown or whatever goes for lockdown. It's hard to say because people seem to be able to come and go. So it's not really a lockdown. Um, really don't understand. Really don't care. I'm just staying inside as much as possible. Um, I, I really don't have much desire to go out anyway. I do miss my walks down the strip. 
And I, I am looking forward to finishing that third and final What Happened in Vegas book. I'm a little more than halfway done, but obviously I can't go out and hear people talking. So uh, that's kind of on hold for the moment. But uh, there is a, a good amount so far. And I'm sure that once um, once it's time to open up again and it's time to wait a month or so before I go out and, and go into the world, I'm just going to kind of see what happens because I don't have high hopes for the first opening. Uh, we'll see. Who knows? I, I should be thinking positively, but based on uh, what I've seen so far, I don't. So um, that's what's happening here. Um, my novel is moving forward as as possible. My wonderful editor uh, is also writing uh, her own trilogy, and I'm editing that while she's editing my book. So uh, we're kind of working on this together, and hopefully one or more of those projects will be done uh, and, and released by the end of the year. My book... Um, for promotional purposes is actually going to be split into three novels. So it's going to be a trilogy and uh, you know, they, the writers, the readers these days tend to not give you a lot of opportunity uh, to, to check out what you can do. If you give them this, you know, huge meal to eat, if you give them some bites, they'll give you a chance. So uh, I'm breaking the novel into some smaller pieces that could prove to be a bit of a challenge as to where to break it up. But we're editing it first just as a whole novel, and then we'll go back and, and cut it into the pieces. Um, but I'm really excited to to get this book out there and uh, very excited to help her with her series, which is absolutely amazing. Um, she's such a talented writer, and I'm I'm very lucky to get to work with her. And we'll talk about the importance of editing here in my interview with Joshua. And while I could continue to babble on about all things that are happening inside my apartment and not outside, uh, I... I got nothing left. So here, uh, without further ado, is my very good friend, Joshua Note. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is epic. This is years in the making. My friend Joshua, who uh, I've, I've been such a fan of for so many years, and this is the first time we've ever spoken uh, live, as with many of my guests, and uh, all the way from, from the United Kingdom, uh, let's bring Josh on the show. Joshua, how are you? I am fine. I'm I'm just so honored to. What a lovely introduction. I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you so much, Scott. This is a a big deal for me, and it has been years in the making. And I just want to uh, extend that back to you and say I've been a fan of yours for years. You know, as of the Mental Sauna albums, of your podcast, and uh, and keeping up with your life. We've you know been friends on Facebook for a long time, and yeah. it's uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, well, it's thank a pleasure. you, so thank I'm doing you well. so much. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that. And uh, now we're recording. I'm actually going to be on your podcast as well, which I'm That's really right. excited about. So we're recording mine first, then we're going to record yours. So God knows what I'm going to say. I'll just apologize in advance because <laughs> you never know what's going to come out of my mouth. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited that you brought the note show back. Oh, thank you. Uh, that's your podcast, and you've had uh, a few episodes released already, and they've all just been fantastic. Your guests are very interesting. Uh, they they make me excited to be an artist, and I have a feeling that that's wow. part of why you chose them. That is the highest praise I've ever had, i got to tell you. Uh, oh. That means the world to me because uh, it's feedback from someone who I have a lot of respect for you and your show. Thank and, you. Uh, to hear, yeah, absolutely, Scott. And to hear uh, 
that from you. I can't tell you that actually means the world. That's made me must make my day. So that's put me in a really good mood for this podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, it was great uh, having you on the show. Let's just end on that. <laughs> but, but but really, I mean, the the people that you talk to are very passionate about what they do. And it's not just that they're they're sitting around going, you know, one day I'd love to do it. No, they're doing it. They're they're throwing everything that they have at it. And oh, and right, I yeah. love that. That makes me go, what am I not like what more can I do to step up my game? Oh, I've just got to step in right there and just shut you down, Scott, because <laughs> you are a productivity machine. You are one I one of the things I'll be asking you about on my show. I want this is a little leak, but I'll uh-huh. be asking you about just how you've written a hundred one thousand one hundred plus pieces of music so you can't say that to me <laughs> <laughs> well that's fair i suppose no, yeah. that's, you're you're a productivity machine but i do appreciate that you noticed that about my guests i tend to uh go for guests uh who i you know i have a lot of respect for and and uh, yourself included obviously but i Thank i you. go for people that i i think well they're doing stuff and they're achieving stuff and honestly i'll tell you that uh, a little secret sometimes um I, I come away from a, a, an interview in this new show, the new version of the show, um, and I'm a little bit down because I think, what am I doing? And mm. and I yeah, and I and it does get me. And then I think Winifred Phillips did that to me because she has such a sharp intelligence. Yeah, um, she's 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 fiercely intelligent, and she knows about so many different aspects of when she was talking to me. If you heard the interview, and she was talking about the. Uh, way that low bass tones can affect people's balance when they use VR headsets mm-hmm. and how she doesn't write deep bass lines for them. And I thought, God, you know, all of this stuff, you've done research on all these different fields and it makes me a bit down. Yeah. Everyone feels like other people are doing all that stuff. Well, I think and- it's what you, it's what you do with it though. Right. So you can have, I, I remember one of my very dear friends, a uh, drummer uh, that I've known for like 30 some years when I uh, I had just joined a new band and we were going to be opening oh, yeah. for his band and I, I knew very little about their music. Uh, my brother was friends with him. So we went to one of their rehearsals and I, I thought I shouldn't even be a drummer. This guy is so good. What what business do I have getting behind really? a drum set? And I spent like two days while I'm trying to learn all these technical songs. I spent two days just feeling like I don't deserve to be a part of that. I'm not good enough to be where these guys are at. And then I just kind of woke up and went, you know what, though? He's a human being. If he could do it, then I could do it and I could find my own unique way to do it or whatever. And and it kind of like gave me that charge. So I think, yeah, it's it's easy to come into moments like that where you feel uh, overwhelmed by somebody's uh, approach or or maybe the opportunities they've gotten. Yeah, but. You can also turn that around and let it inspire you and then let that be the thing that drives you to go, you know what? They did it. I can do it, too. You know, Scott, this is another example of the times that you have over the years. You've always given me the best advice. Aww. And uh, you you were doing it just the other day, actually, if you remember. I had a I little do. bit of a mood on Facebook. <laughs> oh, <yep. laughs> and uh, someone said something that upset me quite a bit. And it was quite a charged thing they said. And you just said, you know what? Calm down. Talk to them about it. And uh, tell them that it's upset you. And uh, if they're actually truly not a very nice person, then, then you don't have to deal with them anymore. Yeah. And that was wonderful advice. So they're, So you don't deal with them anymore? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually do. I love them to bits. I realize that I haven't talked to them about it yet, Scott, but I've made a big note 
and I've written down a mind map as well oh, good. about what I want to explain to them mm-hmm. about that particular topic because it was a charged topic if you remember and and yeah. uh, and I and I wanted to say you know and we'll get on to some of that today I think uh, what we're talking about because yeah. obviously in addition to the no show I'm a mental health advocate mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's a big part of my life so you know we'll uh, we can do, we can dive into that as well but. About the show, I'm really pleased that you're listening to the episodes because I listen to the Haskin cast and we're in a similar sphere. Yes. Uh, we definitely are. There's not many shows that I listen to where I'm like, you know, this guy, he's interested in this is the thing my friend said and he listened to an episode of your show as because we were talking about it. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, you're both great appreciators of things. Oh, and yeah. I thought that's nice. Right. I love that. That's what we do. That's what we do. Please thank uh, him for me because I, I think that's, I that's very sweet. And I, I think it's accurate. I think it's like on on the, I don't know if it was the first half or the second half of my episode with Robin Cote, but she she and I were talking Great about that. Episode, I think it was the beginning the of the first part. And uh, I, I love the guests that I bring on the show. I think that they are uh, amazing people. Whatever their approach to life is, whatever reason I'm bringing them on the show, there's something amazing about them. And that makes me excited to talk to them and share like yourself, share their things with the world. You got so yeah. many things going on that we're going to talk about. Um, <laughs> but let's, let's start with, with the premise of this conversation that, that sparred your, uh, your post on Facebook. So without going into the specific topic, the, the thing is that I find it's very easy these days to just lash out at someone who doesn't think the same that you do and say, yep. you know what, I'm I'm done with you. I can't talk to you. I can't respect you as a human. But I think what we're missing, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, I think we're missing that dialogue that says, okay, you think this way and I think that way. Why don't you tell me how you've come to that? Maybe there's something I can learn that I don't know, yeah. or maybe there's yep. something I can learn about you that I don't know or that you don't even know. And then we'll flip it and I'll do the same and then we'll see where we stand. I think this is what I need to do in that situation. And, and uh, what the, the premise of the conversation without going into specifics was that someone thought a certain admission was more painful than another admission. And we're talking about things that affect people's lives and right. certainly things that have affected my life. And uh, what I realized was uh, them talking about that admission means that maybe they came from a background where that was taboo. Right. And I came from a background where maybe the other thing, which is we can say the other thing was mental health and, and having a mental health disorder. Uh, it was, you know, I had a wonderfully supportive mother and she's my best friend. She's amazing and a great family. But I certainly, you know, grew up uh, around a culture and people who were not accepting of of mental health disorders and uh we use the word there's, there's a great guy called tony slattery and you'd love him i'll send you an article um and he was a comedian in the 1990s very famous and uh, i remember him growing up and he just disappeared basically off the scene mm-hmm. and uh and he said he he turned out he had bipolar disorder and he suffered from a breakdown and he said something that really struck a chord with me scott and i, I love this i don't know if you know the word but he said i had a very nice time for a while and then I went slightly balmy. And yeah. balmy is uh, crazy. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if that's an American word. but um, No, uh, but... we just use crazy or insane or oh, not. Right. <laughs> but, but I'm yeah, familiar with it. <laughs> See, it. It's really funny because as, as, a, as a 
like a public personality. I've listened to so many interviews from people from England and that part of the world because I grew up on that kind of music, you know, Deep Purple, Uriah Heep. And oh, I've listened yeah. to so many interviews. I feel like I should have a British accent. And so I, <laughs> I know a lot of the terminology because I, I have such a connection to that. But I, I'm glad that he realized what was going on with him because I think one of the biggest yeah. problems is that you don't know what to cure if you don't know what's wrong. You just know something's not right. The the story of my life, Scott. It's yeah. The story of my life. Yeah, we can talk about, about that. Absolutely. What a wonderful point. Uh, what a wonderful thing to say because that is, uh, I'll tell you that um, I, I, so I, I suffer from bipolar disorder, complex post-traumatic stress disorder and ADHD. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when I, but the thing that I, I'm an advocate for is bipolar disorder and, and the charity Bipolar UK. Um, and because they're a really supportive charity and they've supported me. And, uh, and uh, basically, um, I went into a, a psychiatrist when I was 23 and I was studying classical music at Leeds College, at uh, Leeds University. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, living it up, doing a good thing. And I said, um, I have bipolar disorder. And he did an assessment with me and he said, no, you don't. You, you score a four out of 10 for bipolar disorder. I don't know what chart he was using because I don't believe, I don't know if there is a, a standardized chart. Mm-hmm. And he said, but you score 10 out of 10 for generalized anxiety disorder. So he gave me some anti-anxiety pills and sent me away. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met you a few years later and I was actually, uh, over the course of the years, you saw me, uh, I think you probably witnessed me go through quite a lot uh, yeah. of, uh, yeah, very serious things uh, to do with bipolar disorder, a lot of mental health problems, a lot of the side effects of bipolar disorder. And finally, it took me till I was 30 to go into another psychiatrist who said, you have a really bad case of bipolar disorder and how anyone has ever told you you don't is insane. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 And, but, you know, I think that's part of the problem is that everything needs to be pigeonholed. Right. It's like you couldn't you couldn't have symptoms that maybe haven't been diagnosed or haven't been connected. It's that you only show these symptoms. So this is what it must be. It right. seems like we should be doing things like it, it's very likely that it's this, but let's leave some possibilities open. Let's monitor it because not everyone is pigeonholed like that. True. Absolutely true. No, completely valid point. I think that's really that's really on point, Scott. Definitely. Uh, and and, and it's, the thing is, is sometimes a label is helpful because it, it makes you feel like, well, that's what's going on. And that's in my case, it, it made me go. So that's what happened to mm-hmm. me. You know, uh, those those times, those experiences. I even think, Scott, there was a time that I probably Skyped you at some point and I was probably going through some stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true. But I think that's right. It sounds um, familiar. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think so. And uh, and uh, I because I, uh, I used to Skype people that I, I, I respected and I looked up to and I would think I, I'm going to get in touch with them and I, th- talking to them will somehow sort my head out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and that's a sad, a sad part of what, what I went through. I think um, uh, lots of things were very sad. But what you just said is so right. The label can help though sometimes because it can say you can say, well, it's not all my fault, mm-hmm. you know, which is a thing that it's self blame is definitely a terrible thing. Oh yeah, and it's the biggest crusher I think of of people, and I think the biggest reason that people don't reach out 
And if you think about right. it, you know, you reaching out to, to me, which I'm very honored, uh, by the way, but uh, reaching out at all when you are feeling that way, that's a pretty big step because most people would just, you know, curl their knees up to their chest, you know, hug their arms around their knees and, and hide from the world and not right. not seek out any comfort or help. Right. I think, and, and the thing is, is I feel my heart goes out to them. But I think thank you very much for saying that because I think that all part, parts of my my mental health journey, I I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know what it was. Right. And I thought if I speak to the right people and I get the right advice and I connect with people, like you say, it might help. It might do something. And I knew that I didn't want to be living the way I was living because I hated every minute of it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and for anyone who's just wondering what this was like, uh, I'll just say, Scott, it was a period of time where I had a mental breakdown. And from that period onwards, uh, when I was 27, uh, for for a uh, good two and a half, three years, I uh, lived, you know, substance abuse disorder. Uh, I really had a hard time uh, with alcoholism and uh, with delusions, with hallucinations, and terrible things. Until finally, I actually, I actually died on an operating table when wow. I was twenty nine. Uh, of a, I had had a stomach ulcer for seven years, and and then I'd aggravated it with drinking. Right. And and I I was left on my apartment floor for thirty six hours, uh, bleeding. Uh, and I was sorry if this is a bit graphic for your podcast. No, no, that's, that's quite okay. <laughs> but yeah. I was I was surrounded by blood. And uh, I was trying to reach my mobile phone for 36 hours, and I, I was phasing in and out of uh, of consciousness. And my poor kitten was licking my head, Aww. and uh, she was obviously something was wrong. And uh, and um, yeah, and my friend happened to come by because I didn't show up at bowling, and I'd sent a text saying I'm not feeling so good. If anyone can pop by, oh okay. And he just stopped by, by by sort of chance, uh, with a bag full of. Uh, you know, cokes and uh, like drink, uh, you know, colas and uh, drinks for me, and it was like, oh, I brought some stuff for you. What? Why can't I get into your apartment? And I started yelling, and right. he got the uh, the super to come, and uh, that's the American term for it, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> your landlord, yeah, the, super, the maintenance guy, sure, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, and uh, he opened up the door, and there I was, and they called the ambulance, and uh, thank you to Mister J May and his team, and uh, Stephen Taylor, the nurse, but. Uh, at Bradford Royal Infirmary, I'm alive today. Wow, that's you know? that's amazing, and I'm very grateful too because you're you're such a great guy. I really think that you're you're a big inspiration to me too because you, oh, wow. you do fight through. You know, you've been through a lot of stuff. In the in the meantime, you're writing a book. We're going to talk about. You've restarted your yep. podcast. Uh, you know, you're you're involved in fundraising and the health advocacy. I mean, you're you're not just sitting there complaining about what life did to you. You're you're making it happen, and I really respect ah, that. Thank you. Thank you so much. You, I'm not going to lie. I've got a little bit of a tear in my eye right now. <laughs> I think uh, that means a lot coming well, from but you. Yeah, I, I, that's that's good, though. I mean, it's it's true. And, you know, I love the fact that, that you're uh, fighting so that other people don't have to uh, experience some of these things that you have. In fact, you've just re recently written a blog post that has been getting a lot of attention. Right. It has. I'm actually amazed at the attention it's been getting. Um, I, I, I really, I'm, not, I'm not amazed. I, I just didn't expect it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think when I put it out there, my, my goal was, and, um, I, I, have you, I'm assuming you read it. Not yet. No, I haven't had a chance. Oh, you're not. Well, I can, I can tell you about it if you want. Uh, yeah. I can tell you, that's why I jumped in. I, I can tell you a little bit about it. It's a very brutal blog post. And yet 
I've cut out a lot of gory details. So mm-hmm. the truth would be a lot worse than the way that I've uh, told it. I've said things like I had emotional outbursts in text messages. I didn't write down what I actually put in those text messages because sure. it's quite scary, you know? And but so you can tell the story honestly, but you can just tell it uh, by curbing those those admissions because if you put too much in, I think you can scare people away. And uh, the way that what I was trying to do was... Um, well, I'll tell you what the feedback's been, if that's okay, Scott. Yeah. Well, let me just say, I, I think that that was smart because balance is really the way to... Uh, make sure that you're not losing people, but that you're also keeping people engaged in a topic like that, because so many people would just turn away right. at the reality of it. So the, no, that was that was a good strategy. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Yeah, that means a lot. And uh, yeah, and you're, you're the kind of guy that I, I would, you know, maybe uh, in future send. I know because I remember you, you read Robin Cote's book. You were a beta reader for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I appreciate that you do things like that and that you... Uh, you know, engage in that stuff. I would love to send you some of my, my book uh, and, and see what you think my book on my, because I'm writing two books, obviously. Uh, but the one that I'm writing about my disorder, I, I just, I would love to send you a little bit and just see what you think my style is like. Oh, absolutely. Um, because I, I'm really interested to hear your opinions on these things. Um, I, I'd be the, honored. Oh, it mean, it would mean a lot to me if you did. Um, the, the, it's a mini version of my book, what I've done with the blog post. I mm-hmm. tried to be, uh, the Bipolar UK themselves, great charity. Uh, just a big shout out to Simon Kitchen, Naomi Kitchen, who run the charity. And uh, my old friend, do you want, really funny little story, just to divert there for a second, Scott. Uh, I knew a girl called April Kelly once, and uh, I was good friends with her for a brief period. And I thought the world of her. She's a wonderful person. And then I had those bad years, and I didn't, you know... Uh, engage with the world in the same way i didn't see anyone that i used to know i was isolated i was lonely i was sad and then when i got back on my feet and i was diagnosed i I went to bipolar uk and who do i see is the ambassador and has has come out as having bipolar disorder but my friend april kelly wow and it was amazing it was absolutely astonishing and she does a talk every wednesday and i join it's like going to it's like being in class with mm. your friends because we're all learning constantly about our disorder. Right. You know, and we all have different experiences of it. So we're all in class nattering while she does a talk on Facebook Live. Oh, very and nice. so I, yeah, I just appreciate that she does that work. And Simon does one on, on a Friday. So they do a lot of good stuff. But sorry, Scott, I just went off on one there. <laughs> no, no, not at all. That was a great story. And I, and I love that, that when you go to this, there's some comfort in a familiar face. That's always a nice uh, thing in the middle of insanity. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. In April, um, personal story. Once I, uh, I was having, I had an episode very badly, one of my first very bad episodes, and um, she did everything she could, along with a guy called Mark Brennan, who's a guy I've been on my show. Uh, if you yeah. heard the episode mm-hmm. number one, lovely guy, and they did everything they could to save my life. They called the police and said, "This, we've got some, you know, very dangerous, sad messages from from Josh." And uh, we need you to go and check on him. Uh, luckily, I calmed down myself uh, and things blew over. But they did everything they could to save my life that day. And I'm eternally grateful to them both 
for that. Uh, it's an amazing thing to have friends that, that realize something's wrong and actually do something about it. You know, you know, it's so it's so interesting that you say that because I, I've uh, as I was unpacking and packing, I actually binged all your uh, podcast episodes that were available while I was packing. So that helped carry me through some of that. Uh, but uh, as I have been unpacking, I started getting hooked on this uh, YouTube series from BuzzFeed where these two guys go in and they're trying to like solve these old mysteries and stuff. And they were talking about, I think it was the episode on O.J. Simpson, where they actually went to Nicole Brown Simpson's old house. And they said, oh, wow, how this is like a I thought it was like a rich neighborhood where the houses were half mile apart. This is like a tightly cramped neighborhood. How did nobody hear anything? And I started thinking mm. about that. And I'll, I'll equate this to you in just a second. But I started thinking about that. And I thought maybe people heard things and they just didn't acknowledge or want to be involved like i've heard in my apartment i've heard gunshots but oh, right and and sometimes i have called the police but other times i'm like i don't feel like that's the right thing to do like i really trust my intuition but what if everybody mm. around a murder heard the screaming and at the same time they're like Oh, it's probably just they're just having a fight or oh, OJ's back and they're yelling or what? Like no one really wanted to get involved, but they heard something. So now equate that to friendship and how many people saw signs, saw things in you. And I remember a few times reaching out to you just going, hey, man, are you doing OK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did. how many people, though, really engage and really want to get involved as opposed to. I, I don't know what's going on with them, so I'll just wait until they calm down. Well, I'll tell you that uh, it turns out to be – it's a mixed answer, if I can give you – in my personal experience, yeah. uh, I'll tell you. Uh, it turned out to be not a lot of people, uh, sadly, that mm -hmm. I knew. Um, but then, uh, when, especially when I was um, on a hospital table, when I was in, in hospital, I posted pictures of myself uh, in, in hospital, not looking for sympathy, just to be like, this is what's going on, people. Yeah. You know, I, I might die. I'm in intensive care. And I was in there twice because I, I bled out a second time. Mm. Um, and I was taking, yeah, it's, it was a gruesome time. Uh, and then with the space of a couple of weeks, a few weeks, I was in uh, intensive care for the most of the time in an ICU. And I, uh, I basically was shocked at the fact that the people who had uh, engaged in some of the negative aspects of my life, let's say, mm -hmm. um, none of them showed up except the guy that found me on the floor. Wow. Um, and uh, they, they, which I'd, I'd fallen out with a few of them over the course, but they weren't big fallouts. It was just the uh, minor ones, but that I was surprised. I thought, no matter what I've done, no matter what I might have said, I was ex still expecting a few more messages. Mm -hmm. on just from people and um and you did get in touch over there you were really you're you're a really decent guy scott you, there's you. no question about that but that, that's that's you exemplify that in the way you are and uh it's always been a pleasure for me and so i've always felt comfortable being able to be like i can run this by scott or he'll give me some advice and uh even in those dark times checking in on someone it does do a lot it's just a huge amount yeah. and so i guess what i'm doing if i can say um what i'm doing is reflecting on what you've just said, the question that you just raised, reflecting on the fact that not a lot of people reached out to me when I was in that place. And I'm now saying, well, you know what? I'm going to be really brutally raw and honest. 
and I am going to put myself out there because I know plenty of people now, more since I've written that blog post, actually. Is I've made about uh, nine friends in the last few days who nice. have similar problems. Yeah, similar mm -hmm. problems. And they've told me, oh, my God, I read it and I've been through just like this, but it went like this, dot, dot, dot. But I wouldn't want to tell anyone that. And I yeah. say, that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, you, that's absolutely fine. You don't have to do that. Uh, as long as you feel comfortable talking to me about it, I hope that if you ever have a problem like that again, you know that you can come to me. Um, because, uh, you know, and, and so it makes me feel good about myself. And the thing is, is that the feedback I've had have been people who know people who've been through something like that have actually got in touch and said, oh my God, my friend acts like this. Mm. And, and maybe, maybe I don't, and I thought that's about only a couple of people said that, but I thought, you know, that's really cool because maybe they understand that that friend isn't choosing to suddenly spend all their money or do drugs and drink alcohol and suddenly be hyper emotional sexual or angry and to suddenly uh make big drastic choices within the course of a week or two uh and change their whole personality maybe they're not making that choice right. uh yeah you know well and and i think that's the thing too is it's not just that you're potentially helping the people that suffer with bipolar disorder or other things that they might say, well, I'm not suffering mm. from that, but I'm suffering from this and gaining yep. from your, your blog. But you're also really reaching out to family members, friends, uh, you know, people that just know other people. And it can really help anybody that mm. might be connected yeah. to really any kind of serious illness. And I love that. But while you're pondering all this, something else just came to me while you were saying sure that. Thing. Uh, one thing to consider, especially because most of what people saw from you was in the social media world where we right. know very well people to be dramatic and mm -hmm. only in the defense of people not reaching out. I would say there is a possibility that some people may have thought that you were being a drama queen, that this wasn't a real thing to be taken seriously. You were just like, Oh, I don't have a lot of friends or nobody's talking to me. So I'm just going to do something to get attention. Right. That's fine. No, you know what? Fair point, Scott. I, I agree with you in that. And I will say fair point because you know what? I've seen people do that. Right. So it, it happens. What you just said definitely happens. And, uh, there, you know, there were times when, um, I, I, I will actually say something, uh, just to, I'm going to contradict myself. How about that? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's what this show's <laughs> yeah. all about. Yeah. Because yeah, well, no, I want to contradict myself because you just reminded me, um, that what I was going to say was back during those days, uh, not only did people not reach out, but some people out and out turned their backs on me. Uh, yeah. And some of them had good reason to. They were just fed up and they didn't know what was wrong with me. They didn't maybe know that there was something mentally wrong. Or if they did, they thought, it's not my place to be handling this. Someone else should. Mm -hmm. um, and that was fair enough. But when I had this recent episode that my blog is about, uh, it's even in the blog. I was really surprised that the I used to have a, over a thousand friends on Facebook, and that's the period people who didn't reach out. Mm -hmm. And and then now I started a new Facebook when I when I got over all of those years and I, I cleaned myself up and I and I you know went into therapy and uh, I, I went through rehab and I, I did everything that you can do and I got myself back on the straight and narrow as I say. And 
when I had this recent episode, which was due, would you believe, to a clerical error, which was that my medication started being dispensed at the wrong dosage. Oh. Uh, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the crux of the article. The crux of the article is actually that, you know, sometimes these things are out of your control because I did not realize that this medication was being dispensed at the wrong dosage. Right. Yeah. And and it, it had a massive effect on me. And then what actually happened was I started on another medication within that period uh, within the same week and uh, the two combined and I suddenly had an episode after just following my birthday um, and uh, I I had a brilliant birthday and I looked back at the pictures and then all of a sudden it went into a manic space and what happened this time was totally different and that's why I'm going to contradict myself loads of people send messages and put hey you're posting quite random things uh, mm. are you okay one friend, Becky, I'll say her name, she, she re- reached out and she said she actually works in the National Health Service. And she said, if you need any help getting to help, uh, I can direct you. Nice. Um, and that, that was amazing. And she's an amazing person. And, uh, and really, really, hi, Becky. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, re- really, 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 uh, really great person. And, and a couple other people. And a lot of people liked my statuses. And I posted one status and I put, I won't say what I put, but it was down. And um, I noticed that suddenly everyone put, are you okay? Are you okay? Is everything all right? What's going on? All this stuff underneath it. And um, even yourself actually started liking, when I said I'm, I'm feeling a bit better now, you, you popped up as a heart on my status. Yeah. Um, I was yeah. excited. And I was like, good. Yeah, I feel better. And it was really nice to, to be like that. And, and then I thought, you know what? I'm not going to let this one beat me down. I'm not going to let this beat me down anymore. Yeah. I'm going to write a blog about what just happened. Because I know that there are one in 50 people. So that's what, 6 million Americans, about 1.4 million English people, um, mm-hmm. UK people, sorry, British people who have bipolar disorder at some point in their lives. And I thought, I'm going to join the, 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 the choir of people who are now coming out and talking about their bipolar disorder. And hopefully it will be a crescendo, a, a cacophony, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> it will be people, people, I want to be a part of a crowd. I, I, everyone writes their story as if it's their only they're the only person going through it but it doesn't matter because you put all those stories together and you realize like there's this little library that's starting of people now sharing their stories about bipolar disorder so mm-hmm. it's wonderful scott no it really it's is I, and i'm so glad that a, of a couple things here that are really important one that you've you've been able to take the experiences that you've had up to this point and find strategies to deal with it moving forward i love that mm. Uh, because so many people I think are just, you you know, I have this, this is my life now. And they just kind of fall into the victim role. Uh, but I like that you shared it and that you're helping people. That's, that's such a huge thing. I mean, you know, me, uh, especially with the mental sauna music, I'm very big on doing what I can to help make the world better in my own way. And I love that you did that, but I want to digress for just a minute. Because by, you hit, uh, by all means, it's your show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's okay, uh, you hit on something very important. So, uh, it, on your old Facebook page, you had a bunch of people that you were connected to, and on your new Facebook page, you have a bunch of people that you're connected to. But I think this proves why social media can be ridiculous, because the number of people that you see on your quote unquote friends list is the most meaningless number in the universe. That means that so many people have either reached out to you or you've reached out to them by clicking a button. Probably half of them you've never even had a conversation with. Right. 
So when you look and say, I have a thousand friends on Facebook and only a handful reached out to me, my question for you would be, out of those thousand people, how many of those were actually friends? That's very true. And by the way, I just want to clarify one thing, if I can. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope I didn't come across when I was saying all that, like I was a, like a, a moaning mora or whatever you want to have to say, like nobody reached out when I needed it. You know, I don't want to sound like that, that even though I said that um, I was living a life that was so dangerous and so uh, off the wall and so mentally disturbed yeah. that I wouldn't put it on anyone to have to reach out to me. It's even even people who were supposedly very good friends of mine. Um, I, I I don't think it's it's the responsibility of anyone to have to do that for someone. I do that for people because I've been through it. Uh, but that doesn't make me special. That just means that I, I know what it's like. And I, I, it's, a, it's my own thing. I can't bear watching someone go through it when I see someone doing it. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, it's a personal thing. I didn't take it that way at all. I, I just oh, good. Think Thank I, you. I, I, personally, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think it raised a good point, though, about what we consider friendship to be. I think it uh, I think it raised a good point about what social the realities of social media, because I think so many people look at numbers and when they post something that that they think, hey, you know, this I really feel this and they post it and then two people like it and then they start feeling, you know, like maybe nobody's listening to me. Maybe nobody cares about what I'm saying. Like we put so much stock in these supposed connections but I'm right. I'm like 1,900 and some friends, and I think I know, like really know about 300 of them. Really? So it's, it's just such an arbitrary number, but it's one of those things that we set those mental markers by, right? Like I might post that, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I might post a joke or like my, my what the fuck category on, on Facebook pictures where <laughs> I'm like, I just yeah. saw something that just kind of blew my mind. So I'm going to share it in the hopes that maybe it'll give people a laugh or whatever. And I might get, you know, 70 people commenting on it or liking it or whatever. And then I turn around and I'm like, hey, I just wrote this new song. It's on YouTube. Uh, here's, here's a link to the video if you want to check it out. And like three people like it. Well, it would be really easy for me as an artist, especially, to just feel like nobody cares what I'm doing. I don't have a right to be putting music out because nobody cares. I'm just taking up space in the world and, and just letting that kind of stuff eat at me. And I, I just think right. that we put way too much stock in, oh, I think in those kind of numbers. Right. I think you're entirely right. And, and, the, and the, the fact that I had that experience proves you're right. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it definitely, it, by definition, I've proven your point. <laughs> I think you have. Um, yeah, I think I have. Like, just my experience. And, and that's why I, I'm so glad that I didn't come off like I was complaining about it. Because that's no. not what I was trying to say. Uh, I, I just think sometimes it's easy to fall into that. Yeah. Um, you know what's great? What's great, Scott, is, um, is, is I will say, the charity Bipolar UK, uh, it's great that they have a Facebook page. It's great that, and I, by the way, I'm not affiliated with them. They just publish my blogs. And sure, so, yeah. and they're, they're, they're very kind to me. I'm mm -hmm. not, I don't want to, I'm not here to plug them. I just saying, I really like one thing, which is that a page, which you and I both have pages. We mm -hmm. both know what it's like, uh, the ins and outs of running a page. We could talk a bit about that, about the note show, if you want. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've learned a lot in the past like month about marketing. And it's mm -hmm. been interesting. But um, the, the, uh, the, Facebook page, it kind of corrals um, a group of people to a common cause 
who understand. And then I publish this this blog, and they put it up there, and suddenly you see these comments appear. Bop, 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 bop. Uh, thank you for sharing. This means a lot to me. Thank you for sharing. And uh, and I got one piece of negative feedback on the article, and it it I, it didn't upset me. I just felt very sorry for the person who said it, which was she said something like, "I'm really glad your life has gotten better," because that's the the moral of that story and the, the the theme of it is that i obviously you know i got better right uh i had a, i had an episode i picked myself up why do we fall down master wayne to learn how to pick ourselves back up again i think that's the quote from batman <laughs> yeah, so. um, but yeah um so so and and i got better and i i'm now you know doing the podcast i'm now blogging i'm writing a book about bipolar disorder which uh bipolar uk are going to put the opening uh, chapter on their website um which i'm really excited about and then this woman said, uh, I didn't like, I hated, she said, I hate that you use the words, you are not alone at the end of the article. Because she said, because I am alone and COVID-19 has proven how alone I am. And I straight away reached out to her and I said, first of all, I did mean it in the sense of I find comfort and solace in other people's blogs. So I was hoping that you would find it in mine because, uh, people like me do understand two bipolar uk have uh, a peer support group and an e-community that you can you know engage with and learn a lot from mm -hmm. and you can find people there and three do you want to be my friend mm. which i thought was the best answer yeah. you know because quite frankly i would be open to be hanging out with her to, on skype you know and talking about things uh anyone who's going through it so you know you got to do what you got to do i'd be really interested to know why it is that she feels alone. Because I think if if this whole pandemic has proven anything, uh, to most people, it should have proven that we, that the things that matter most are in part the people that we're closest to or the people that we're close to. And unless she right. has absolutely no one in her life, in which case the virus did not uh, isolate her. You know, mm -hmm. she she can obviously reach out. She has the internet. Otherwise she couldn't have read your article. So right. I, I'd be interested, I guess, to dig a little deeper and, and find out why she feels alone, especially in light of, of COVID-19, because I think, again, it just depends on what you do with what you're given, right? She's, she has the ability to reach out. She, she reached out to you. She felt that was important. So I, yeah. I don't know. I find it interesting when people get so offended by words and wording, and I hate that you use that phrase and, and things like that, because that's not important. That's that's right. not what the article was about. You didn't write this whole article just so that you could write May the Force Be With You at the end. You wrote the <laughs> article to reach out to people and, and help people. And when people are caught up in in the finer, non-interesting. The semantics almost. Yeah, yeah, it just it's like they're missing the point of the whole article. They just wanted some maybe she just wanted something to anchor to to reach out to you and say, I wish I would have written this article and I didn't. And you did. And now I'm mad at you. Well, maybe that's partly it. You never know. I don't know. I wouldn't. I never thought that. Uh, I never thought that. Um, but see, that goes back to what we were talking about, about your dilemma that uh, we were conversing about the other day with your friend that, that made that comment. And again, yep. it goes back to who is this person? What led them to feel this way? What can I learn? What can I teach? You know, it's mm. it's a good opportunity. And I love that your your third and final point with her was, would you like to be my friend? Because that opens up that... Uh, for one, proving that you're not alone because someone just reached out to you, um, but also maybe helping her find that comfort that she needs. 
Yeah, well, I hope that I can do. And and if she doesn't reach out, she didn't respond, I will say, um, as far as I know. Uh, but I, I hope that there's a point that she knows that I was being real because I wrote it as real as I could. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and tried to say, like, I genuinely mean if you want to be my friend, you can be my friend. Uh, you know, I, I'm genuinely here to talk to you. I have a, a relation, a, a sort of distant relation um, to me who suffers from mental health disorders mm -hmm. and uh she and i converse and we have a lovely relationship and she's been a big influence in my life and she's a wonderful person and um i know that she's alone during this pandemic mm -hmm. and uh it's very difficult for her but she listens to my podcast she reaches out and i know that i'm her i'm not really a family member she's a family member of one of my family members <laughs> but, <laughs> right yeah but 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 she is she is uh still able to do that and i what i was trying to do was with my online presence is try and be one of those people because i i see april and i admire and respect her tremendously and i see people doing the same thing and i think this is something i want to be a part of i want to be there for people and to say hey look I'm not perfect. My life's not the most amazing life. It's just a life. It's a peculiar life because of mental health disorders. But you know what? It is interesting. And and here are some stories from it. And hopefully they will, you know, make you feel like you're not alone. That's all I want to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I can say that just from the responses that you've had, the friendships that you've formed, I think you've accomplished that. Now it's a matter thank of you. how many more people will get touched by the fact that you wrote that article. So thank you, Joshua, for doing that, because just just what you've accomplished huh. already has made the world a better place for some people. And that is a wow. huge thing. And the great thing is that article now will always be out there. It's always going to be able to be found on Google. It's always going to be able to be read. Uh and, and so who knows how many people over the next decades or century you're going to touch with your words. So thank you for well, not a lot. Well, it's and it's not just that you thought about doing it. You followed it through. You created it. You put it out there. There's so many steps where you could have said, nah, I probably shouldn't do this. I definitely felt like that sometimes a lot. I will say yeah. that it was that when writing the article. I, I I did what you described earlier at one point. I pulled my legs up to my chest and mm -hmm. I thought, no, I can't put this out there. People will call me crazy. They will call me a bad person. They will say all sorts of things. And so far, and, and by the way, I am expecting that. And yet I've not had it. Mm -hmm. you know, not, not yet. I, and if it happens, I will deal with it in yeah. my own way. I will take it on board and, and realize that that person doesn't know me. And as much as I've tried to reach them, they haven't been touched by what I've written. And maybe they have their own issues themselves that they've not dealt with. Because I have found in the past when I've talked openly on, on, on things about mental health disorders, that one small group of people kick back sometimes. And it's people who um, I later found out, it's happened with about two or three people um, Three. I don't know. I said two or three. <laughs> it's definitely three. Um, I can. I, I know them in my head. Where I've actually addressed them and said, "Hey, what's up? Why are you being mean? You know, there's no real need for that." And it turns out that there are people who suffered from mood disorders and uh, felt bad about their condition and just were angry that they had it. And uh, reading of someone else saying, uh, and it wasn't a blog post because this is my first attempt at, you know, speaking out really publicly, but it was Facebook posts on my old Facebook. Uh, and when I, when I said, it was before I knew I had bipolar disorder, it was just me talking about, I went through this, 
you know, and, and I, it was to do with hallucinations and delusions. And they came back and a guy uh, that I know who lovely guy who has schizoaffective disorder, which is a similar disorder. Um, it turned out that he was just mad at me um, because I was talking about it. And mm. he said it, and he, he felt like it made him less of a person. And I did everything I could to say that's not true. That's yeah, I, I I can understand that. I've had people do things similar in the music world, and sometimes people will come back later and admit to me that it's it's they're angry with me because I'm doing what they wanted to do and just didn't do it. Right. Um, so right. there there's that component. There's the fact that they might have their own. Uh, obviously, anybody that lashes out has some sort of. Uh, I don't want to say like a clinical disorder, but there's something not right about somebody that would just read an article and lash out at the person that wrote it, whether it's a cry for help, whether there's something wrong, whether they're just an angry person and they felt the need to bring you into it. If I see a post or if I read an article and I disagree with it, I I try to be open minded and say, okay, is there maybe my perspective is too clouded and I'm not seeing this uh, honestly Or is it just Mm -hmm. something I never thought of? Like, I really try to be open minded when I read different things. Um, But if I if I find the article just doesn't flow with my belief system or doesn't challenge my belief system in a way that I feel is worth pursuing, I just either stop reading that article or I close it when I'm done with it. And that's the end of it. I don't ever feel the need to lash out at the writer and say, how dare you? You know, yeah, right. But that's you, Scott. All I'm saying is, yeah. is, is my experience of you, my experience of you as a person has been, uh, I would say, equilibrium. Uh, it's a person who searches for a balance and uh, thinks about things very deeply before he makes any kind of comment or judgment and doesn't judge in general. Uh, and I, I think that you've always been someone who you could have said to me a long time ago, if I'm really honest, brother, you could have said, I'm not dealing with this guy anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't need to see like him going through this. You never did. Right. Yeah. Um, you never did that. Never once. Yeah. And like you said, you reached out a few times and I, I felt like reaching out to you because of the way you are. And it says a lot about who you are, but I'm I'm not saying you're wrong. It's definitely right. It's just uh, it says a lot about who you are as a person, and I, it, it's a shame more people don't stop themselves and just. Well, it's not a shame they don't stop themselves. It's like you said, they're going through things, mm-hmm. or they have things in their head. They might need psychotherapy. They yeah. might need. Uh, someone to talk to them. They might need some support. They might need some money. You never know. Sure. <laughs> they could, and and know, I think that's always a, a big fear, too, is that people feel that there's a financial premise when people are acting strangely online and they're afraid oh, that yeah. if they reach out, that person's going to say, well, I need money, you know, and I think that stops a lot of people. But I, I guess I could sum it up this way. A friend of mine recently posted something about uh, the COVID-19 situation and where they feel we're at in the process of it, that we're really past it. We can't really infect each other anymore, um, regardless of what the the media is showing us. And somebody wrote, responded to them and said, do you really believe all that bullshit? And I thought mm-hmm. right there, I'm like, there's no point in engaging with this responder because they're already walking into it with an attitude of, I'm not here to have an open-minded discussion with you. Right there. I'm here to try and make you look stupid because I know something you don't know, or I feel I know better than you do. 
And so right. then, then they followed it up with, uh, and, and then my friend responded and they followed it up with, well, I don't see a reason in, in having a conversation with you because your mind is already made up. Okay, but if you mm. already knew that, then why did you make a response at all? Obviously, you're trying to elicit a battle. You're just trying to look like, make them feel like they're the ones that are attacking you. Whereas all you yeah. needed to do was just not respond to a post that wasn't within your belief system or you didn't feel that was appropriate for, for your own personality. So I would expect that that could be where a lot of those responses come from is that uh, they just want to have a battle. They just want to rage about something because that's what we do these days. We don't solve problems. We don't have open discussions. We just rage and attack. It's true. I unbelievably sad truth, but it's true. It, it uh, is. I completely yeah. agree. And it's yeah, so it's so easy when you're hiding behind your monitor with your made up screen name. And, you know, it's so easy to just antagonize people. And, uh, oh, I've had that. I've had that galore. Sure. Yeah. I've, that's uh, yeah. In the past. But the, the, I mean, the, the people, the, the keyboard heroes, as my friend call, calls yes. them. Yeah. Um, you know, the keyboard heroes are uh, doing that to me. And uh, and I think I expect now that I'm, I've come out as a as a, a having bipolar disorder publicly um as opposed to being a victim of my my myself i mean i never i never had a victim attitude i don't believe i don't uh, think so but no. well, i hope i hope not and i'm really pleased that you don't think so because um but I, I i didn't know there was something wrong i knew there was something wrong but i didn't know what it was like i said yeah. before um but i i don't think i ever had a victim attitude but i definitely felt uh like things were happening to me mm -hmm. in the past and then once I got my diagnosis and I put myself through rehab and uh, I I worked really hard on myself, mm -hmm. uh, I I didn't I now feel like I'm doing things and making things happen and that's kind of what you said earlier on which I really take to heart that yeah. you notice that because Absolutely. I'm working hard I, it takes a lot of effort to do these things and in the since the lockdown I brought the podcast back like you said which I'm really chuffed about because it, it does give me a sense of identity. Mm -hmm. uh it, it it gives me that and 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 i do think scott that in your own case especially i believe uh it's a question that i'm going to ask you actually on my show which will be airing this saturday Yay. if everyone's interested here scott um uh, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that but i'm going to be asking you a question which is um i won't i won't tell you what it is but it's the concept of uh podcasting being an art form Oh, yeah. Because I believe it is. Mm, oh, yeah. absolutely. And, uh, yeah. and uh, we'll get into that on my show. How about? <laughs> oh, good. I'm looking forward <laughs> but, to that. Yeah. But look forward to that. But no, it's um, it's uh, I, I, I do believe it's an art form and um, it takes a lot of work. Uh, what I've done this time, what I've done is pull myself together. I, I, I didn't expect to have that episode, but I did think that I handled it well by doing the article. Mm -hmm. Not to pat myself on the back too much. I'll pat I just, you on the I back because I think you did. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but uh, I, I, I just think that it's definitely got the response that I want. It's been shared everywhere. And uh, I'm amazed that there's, there's people getting in touch. I mean, I'm being followed on Twitter by mental health advocates. Um, and it's just and it's amazing that people just want to hear that. And, and Naomi Kitchen herself actually said to me, there's so much power in shared stories. Um and I, I'm trying a new article, and uh, I thought you might like this, Scott, because it's musical. And I'll just give you a little hint, if that's okay. Yeah, do it. So the article is about, it's going to be notes, notes, right? Ah, I like it, yeah. And it's, you like it? And uh, so here's, here's a little snippet. I personally remember living on a dorm room floor in Poughkeepsie at Vassar College 
having a massive series of rapid cycling episodes and waking up manic, running down empty New York State streets in the fall and then winter, freezing cold, but enjoying the icy feeling of air flowing through my coat. This song blowing up my earphones and getting to the Acropolis Diner for my breakfast at 3.30am. There were dangerous, confusing, life-threatening times then, but I was far too gone to notice. And the song is What a Beautiful Day by The Levelers. Oh, nice. You know, and I think a lot of people, uh, whether they have a disorder or not, I think a lot of people experience that very thing. Uh, maybe yeah. not to the specific details of your experience, but I think just just that overall feeling. I think a lot of people go through that one point or another in their life. You think? Yeah, I think that's true. I think so. Well, that's yeah. very, very cool. You know, I here's the thing. I knew this was going to happen. Like we're, we've been talking almost an hour and oh, <laughs> we wow. haven't even touched on half the things I wanted to talk about. But this has been great stuff because I think it is important for people to understand that you really Anything that you're experiencing, the chances are someone else has experienced it. Someone else has gone through it. Someone has succumbed to it. Somebody has overcome it. Uh, Somebody is not understanding it. But anything that you're experiencing, someone else throughout time or probably currently is going through the same thing. So I don't really believe that we're ever alone unless we choose to be. Right. That's wonderful. There's always someone to reach out to. Even if you don't know where to start, just start. Like sometimes you just have to jump in. But it's those very fears that you're experiencing that prevent people from jumping in, which is why they end up isolated. So kudos to that lady for reaching out to you, even though she didn't do it in the most productive way. But it could still lead (laughs) to something productive. But just the fact that she said, I'm alone, but I'm reaching out. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's a great summation. And I think that's what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I hope that that works out for her. But I, I want to talk to you. So you're writing a second book about this, but you actually you have a book that's in editing right now, which is a children's right. book. And I, I love that you wrote a, a children's book because I think you just have this warm <laughs> and wonderful way about you that I could see oh. I, I could see you really being able to connect with children and writing in a way that that will inspire and wake them up. That's amazing, Scott. Thank you. That's <laughs> that's the highest praise. And I thank thank you so much for saying those things. I I, I I'm blushing. I'm I'm English. We don't take compliments very well. Um, <laughs> well, buckle up, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, I I don't have children. I uh, always wanted children, mm-hmm. and um, I we are talking about the book now. Uh, but I will say that there uh, are times when. Um, I have had the things that we've talked about in this episode and I feel like maybe I never will have children because of them. Mm. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't love children. I'm, I'm honorary uncle to a beautiful little girl, Freya. Um, and he's my best friend's, uh, she's my best friend's daughter mm-hmm. and uh, I spoil her rotten with Disney outfits. I, I, I never stop buying Disney dresses for her. I have them monogrammed. Oh, uh, and, uh, my, my cousin James, he's, he's just had a lovely baby boy called Oscar and I've already started buying Disney stuff for him. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so anyway, the, the, the point of my, my story is, is, uh, that I, I'm, I love children to mm-hmm. bits. Um, you'll find something funny here, Scott, because you're a writer and, um, you probably have to think about something, which I have to think about, which is who is going to read your book when you write your book. It's an interesting question. Yeah, I hate that I do it because I I don't want oh, really? to think about the reader. I want to just write the book as the way the book should be. But yeah, I do I do of course right. think about that quite a bit. 
I have I have the same dilemma. So we were in the same page there. Mm-hmm. I definitely have the same dilemma. Uh, what happened to me was very interesting, which was that I I wrote this book, and uh, I was I, thrilled with it. And I I for some reason uh, did not think about the age of the person that was going to read it. I just thought children will mm. read it. Okay, and. It it sounds so strange, and I I labeled it as young adult. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't know That's why. That's slightly different. I just, yeah, I thought that this was the name for everything that was. I, I consider uh, young uh, sort of preteens. I thought that was young adult. I did not realize that they are not young adults. Right. And yeah. I and so I just put young adult, and actually my my editor it got into the hands of an editor. And uh, and she's a wonderful author herself, actually. Bryony Pierce, uh, who's the author of Savage Island and the way the weight of souls and the Windrunner's Daughter, really great books. Um, I I really love Savage Island, and uh, she she uh, oh, you probably heard me interview her. Actually. I did, yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and uh, and she got hold of it and she sent me it back, and uh, it was it was changed, and it said these two wonderful words. It said mid grade on mm. it. I did not know what that was, Scott. <laughs> I had no idea what mid-grade was. I promise you, I'm telling you the truth. I went, what is this? And do you know something? I only read mid-grade books now. Really? I love, I literally decided that if I'm going to write, if I'm, I write, I read, I listen to biography and, and you know, adult books in that way. Mm-hmm. Very uh, wonderful, intelligent books. And, um, <laughs> and, I, I go, yeah, I'm going to read this, but it's 2,000 pages. <laughs> right, <laughs> and yeah. then I look over and I see my copy of Coraline. And I think that's, I think, 40,000 words or 70,000 words. I'm not entirely sure, but it's it's not a lot of words. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm going to reread Coraline for the 19th time. <laughs> and, I, and I and I pick up a bit of Neil Gaiman in his, in his younger work called The Graveyard Book and uh, or Mortal Engines or Nevermore. A great one I recommend you read, Scott, because you love reading all sorts of different things, I know. Mm-hmm. But Nevermore, The Trials of Morrigan Crow is a literary masterpiece. Okay. And I didn't know this genre existed. And I love it. I think there's something about just wanting a few small bites instead of wanting to feast. And I could definitely see, I I know that when I first started reading Stephen King's books, I really shied away from anything that was more than a few hundred pages because I didn't want to take a long journey. I just wanted to get as many of his books read as quickly as I could. So I really kind of started by how long is the book and is this one story that I'm interested in reading right now? Um, A lot of authors have broken their books into uh, three books or four books in a series instead of writing one long story, because I think that the attention span isn't there like it used to be. I think that Mm. uh, at least for younger people. But I think you have you do have an additional challenge in writing a children's book is that when it comes to how you phrase things, the level of content that you put into the book, you really do have to think about what the age group is and what the typical education level of that group is, because you don't want to write anything that's over their head, but you also don't want to write anything that's not, you know, that's too childish. So it's got to be a fine line when you're writing a children's book. And there are rules, Scott, to what you just said. There are some interesting rules. Yeah. There are, there are rules of thumb, I'll say. So they're not rules, but you'll notice that in mid grade, in mid grade, most of the characters are 12 years old. 
Okay. Even though it's written for eight to 12 year olds. You know why? Why? Because there's a theory that goes around. It's very strong that kids like to read books about children that are just a bit older than them because they are looking forward to sort of being a bit older and having that more freedom or whatever they perceive as more responsibility and more uh, being more grown up. And it's where they might find it far-fetched if an, another eight-year-old went on this magical adventure. They could possibly believe that a 12-year-old uh, would do that, you know? And it's just a rule of thumb. That really makes sense, though, because no one wants yeah. to read about a two-year-old trying to eat a crayon. I mean, <laughs> it's not a great story. <laughs> but you're right, because it does it does give them a little bit of hope for the not-too-distant future, because that makes it more relatable they can kind of mm -hmm. use it as, as a fantasy envisioning themselves in that role, but it's not so far down the road that the content or experience would be over their head. That's really smart. Right. I, I learned that from Bryony. Uh, she's been a, a mentor to me uh, as well as an editor. She's, she, she decided, you know, that she was going to do everything she could to teach me show and show not tell and, and all these rules that you have to learn because I did a lot of telling in my books, mm -hmm. you know, I did a lot of, I don't know if you know that rule, uh, but it's uh, in children's books, especially it comes up um, because it's very easy to say this character did this and did that and did that. Whereas learning how to actively show them doing those things, you know, going down the street and, and picking up the, the cup and talking to the, in my case, it would be casting the spell, teleporting themselves, uh, reforming themselves i mean one of my characters is i i will say uh i i shouldn't say but i'll tell you that it's about an, an evil magical circus Ooh, my book okay yeah uh about a magical circus that's, that has a nefarious uh intent and everyone wants to go see it and it's it's the machinations that go on behind the scenes of this magical circus uh is what it's is, is what the book's about and uh, the characters inside it. And the truth is, is there's some really personal stuff in it, which you said I might be able to open children's minds a little bit. I mm -hmm. think that was right. And um, hopefully I can, because the, the story of the ringmaster and the story of his, his protege is, uh, truthfully, it's a little bit of a story about learning not always to trust in people um, and to to have trust in people, but that people are far more complicated, basically, than uh, you might originally think they are. And the way that he sees him develops, he sees his father develops, and he realizes that um, that there's a lot going on and that it's not what he has originally been told it is. And it's, he's learning all these things about himself. So I think that's, I shouldn't say much more about how right, the yeah. plot of the book is. I like that, though. I like the premise of it. But I'm curious, as as someone who is writing a more uh, adult novel, I mean, we're talking, my novel right, has you are, some, yeah. you know, some pretty uh, major things that are happening in it that definitely would not be for children. Uh I think there's a certain element that I just kind of paint a bit of the picture and expect that my reader is going to fill in a lot of the detail just naturally sure. in their own mind. Uh, we, and, and I used to play, I don't know if you're familiar with these, but I used to play games like Zork where they were just text-based adventures. 
you know, your... Oh, yeah, text, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I love those games. I still play them today. I'm trying to time block like a half an hour every day to work on these games just to keep my mind sharp and to be doing something that's non-work related. But I find wow. that maybe my imagination was developed a little bit by some of these things where you're just given a little bit of a description and your mind fills in the rest. When you're writing for children, especially that 8 to 12-year-old range, they're developing, but they're not really developed fully yet. So do you have? Do you find that you are more descriptive to kind of paint a little more of the picture for them than you would if you were writing for adults? It's definitely a, a case of that. It's definitely. Uh, so I will say again, bringing Bryony into it, she it's the feedback I get from her, which is um, don't expect them to understand this. We'll mm-hmm. come back on notes. Don't expect them to understand. There might be, uh, for instance, things that you or I would read in the scene and we would realize that a character is going through something or is uncomfortable with something because of a few inflections in the way that I've written their words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bryony will say they won't understand that. It's not that she 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 has great respect, obviously, as I do for for children. But it's like this is not that obvious. Um, you've written it, you've written it. And one of the things that, what, one of the things that's happened is, um, it makes sense in my head. And I assume the reader knows, uh, what, like just what you said, knows the understanding of the situation from my point of view. Right. And, and then I have to remember, this is a, a, an eight to 10 year old to 12 year old. I mean, I really aim for the, my aim is, is really, I, I say approximately 10 years old. Um, and, uh, the whole, but the whole category, because the thing is that with the age group is that some children are far more educated, far better readers and far more well-read than others are due to all sorts of reasons and circumstances. So you can't, but you can't really do what I just said. I'm going to contradict myself. You can't really say 10 years old, but I just think of myself at that age and what I was reading, I look back on. And I say, well, that's the kind of level that so so some kids will read my stuff when they're eight and get it. Uh, But what you said is what you said is totally right, which is you need to fill in the blanks more. Definitely. I would think so. Now, the other thing I'm curious about is is I have this conversation with my editor quite a bit. Uh, She'll maybe say, uh, I, I don't like the way you phrase this. I think if you do it this way or try something else, it might work better. And I'll start mm. changing like a bunch of things that she said. And then I stop and I go, but, but is this book still me? Am I still writing this book or does, is, am I writing it now in her voice? Because I've changed so many of the phrasings based on, on her feedback, which is always highly valuable. But do you find that with her, that, that you are changing a lot of things that, that maybe make it not you anymore or not feel like you, even though it's your idea, but not your words? I think that, I have a great relationship, and I'm sure you do as well. And I think that Bryony tries to leave my uh, words intact. Um, I'm not going to say that there aren't a couple of friends, uh, I will say, um, jumped in and said, when I I had a break from writing for a good uh, several months during the period when I, uh, my article is about, uh, for instance, it was at the end of that. I had a bit of a a depression, and then it, it ended with that manic episode. So during the depression, I sent the book to a few other people and not Bryony. And uh, whereas she's much more delicate with changing things, um, a couple of friends actually who are literary people, they're very, very uh, accomplished in academia to do with uh, literature and uh, in English degrees and all that. Uh, they 
actually came back and had made edits to my book because that's what the purpose of the exercise was i said look i'm stuck with this and they came back and they had they had rewritten little chunks of my book and i hated it mm-hmm. i i felt a little bit strange reading it because it wasn't that it was bad writing and it wasn't that i was saying i'm better it was just that i didn't like uh the feeling that someone had taken my words and made them they, what I felt was quite uh, over-explanatory and a bit mechanical. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that. So I, I think it's a personal thing. Well, it, it's it's like collaborating on a song and you, you, know, you write your parts and you send it to somebody else and they write a harmony that's in a completely different key. It's, it's, it's right. not going to work, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then you get the song back from them and you're like, whoa, 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 this is awful now. I hate this thing. It's it's definitely something to taste. Um, when I beta read for people, I really am more looking for things that are are more out of continuity. You know, mm. like uh, you can't you can't have this person be allergic to uh, shrimp on on page three, but then have their right. their date taking them out to Red Lobster on page ninety five. Like that just doesn't make sense. You know, why isn't she saying, "Hey, I can't have any shellfish. I'm deathly allergic to this." You'd think that they're, you know, but but they forget that they had made that point on page three by the time they get to page 90. So that's the kind of stuff that I, I find a lot of in the beta reads. And then there are things where they just might use a lot of repetitive uh, adjectives. And it gets mm. kind of monotonous as a reader to hear that same adjective over and over. So I might just say, you know, you, you kind of said this three times already. It might be a good idea to find a different way to say it a couple of times so that it breaks up you just repeating this one word over and over oh, yeah. and that sort of thing. So I, I really am looking more for that kind of stuff as a, as a beta reader and anything that just doesn't make sense in the story, maybe a loose end that they never tied up. Um, but like my editor, she's wonderful and I, I'm working with her on her trilogy and she's working with me on on my book, which will be a trilogy. Wow. I, I've written it as one long book. Uh, but we're going to break it up into a trilogy. But she's so great because she'll send me this message with the with the chapter that says, I know it's going to look bad when you open the file, but it's really not that bad. It's mostly spelling errors or or just phrases or stuff like that. And I open up the file and like two thirds of it is marked in yellow. And I'm like, oh, my God, I shouldn't be a writer <laughs> You know? <laughs> oh, but, I've been there. Yeah, but but she gives me that premise, but it still doesn't help when I open the file and I look at it and there's all these highlights. And so, you know, you just go through one at a time. But I, I find that really great, though, that you do have such a great communication with her. And it, and it really does oh, go to yeah. show the difference between sending it to a friend to get an opinion on versus actually using an experienced editor and working with them through potential traps and, and things. Uh, I'm really glad that you're doing that because I think a lot of people like, I don't want to work with anybody else. I can do this myself. It's a vital part of writing a book. I I think that it's really cool. The relationship you have, what you just described with your editor as well. So I think we're both in a good position there with great uh, relationships. And I, I just want to say, yeah, I, I, I am, I'm very lucky to work with Bryony and uh, I think she's, she's an amazing person. And uh, just, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a really great relationship, but I've certainly learned more from her. I said this when I interviewed her. I've learned more from her in a year and a half mm-hmm. uh, than I've learned from reading hundreds, probably. I mean, not literally, but, you know, you know, of those how to write books, books, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've, I've been through all the script writing books and the and the how to write scenes and how to write emotions. And 
they all taught me something, but having someone give you live feedback and then say to me the really wonderful thing that she said, which was, I, I really like your style, mm. uh, you know, and she, she, she has encouraged me to uh, keep it. And she, she says, I have a voice that sounds like a certain, uh, a certain way. And uh, I, I think, well, that's good. If someone can see that I have and, and, and can see that I'm, I'm doing a thing and I'm doing it in the way that you just described, I'm doing it um, hopefully consistently, then I, and then I have something that I can stick at. Whereas when I started, I, I'll be honest, when I, when I got in touch with her in the first place um, and I, I sent my book off, uh, it was very inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And we've worked to make it consistent over the last, over the last year. That's you know, awesome. Uh, it's really cool. I like that. I like that you did the research, but here's what I find. And, and I'm curious to get your thought on this. Here's what I find is the difference. You can read the strategy. You can read the here's how to build an arc. And yes, there is some foundation to all of that. But it's kind of like getting diagnosed for a disease. It's here's the pigeonhole techniques for the basic building blocks of writing a book. And you mm. just need to fit into that doesn't matter right. where you just need to fit into that somewhere. Whereas working with an editor, that's when it really touches on your style, all the things that make you who you are that you're putting into that book, your point of view, your descriptions, your storyline, your how far do you take a character, all, you know, all those things. If, if it was all just so formulated, we would have stopped yeah. reading books a long time ago because it would just be so boring. But don't you find? I, I, did you ever go through a phase? Uh, now I'm interviewing you. <laughs> did you ever go through? A, did you ever go through a phase, Scott, where you thought? Because I did. I thought, okay, it's a game of checking the boxes, and I need to follow these formulas. And I actually sat down and tried to write scripts that ticked all the boxes. And I don't know if you ever fell into that trap, but I did. And uh, and it didn't end up with anything good coming out the other end. It came out with, like you said, but it came out with very stilted, uh, like the the inciting incident happens on page twelve. Mm-hmm. You know the, the 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 flip or the whatever. If things get really bad when it gets to page thirty, things change, and, and then the, the, the dark night of the soul, as they call it, happens right. in in around page eighty. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I went through all that. And I thought, my scripts have to be like this. They have to, because these books wouldn't lie to me. Yeah. These books wouldn't tell, you know, they, they must be telling the truth. They're the professional books. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then I fell into that. And I, I've learned over the years, the best thing I could have done was was get my book together and, and send it off. And, uh, and you know, write letters uh, to agents uh, who, you know, get in touch with them, uh, get an editor, uh, g- you know, get through the process and, and just... I tried and I, I i respect anyone who goes through that process and really tries uh because it's a hard road scott you've had uh, a few books done now mm-hmm. uh which but they're not they're not novels but you're doing the novel thing now i mass respect you for now doing the novel because you are so multi-talented and it's just awesome that well, you, you are moving into that field oh no i'm really i you know i can't wait to read the book Thank you. Um, there's uh, it, part of me that really wanted to send me a part of my book to you. I, I will do at some point. I'll send you. Yeah. I'll send you the the opening chapters, and I'd love to to read some of yours. I, I just I'm so excited. Sure. Well, uh, let me just say that if it turns out that my book is also a children's book, it wasn't on purpose. Um, <laughs> I uh, I'll, I'll I'll answer your question. I did not fall into that trap because I did not take the same path that you did and uh, and do any research at all. 
Uh, there are certain oh, right. there are certain things I knew like you have to have arcs, you have to have a good flowing storyline, and you have to have a good opening line. Like that's so important is you have to engage the oh, yeah. reader like from from the first opening line. Uh, but apart from that, I really just relied on my experience as a reader. And uh, you know, originally this started out uh, as a ten minute short film. And then it turned into a feature length film and then it turned into a novel and then it turned into a much bigger novel uh, as I was converting it from a script. But uh, but I think that's why I think if I had gone the same route you did, I probably would have fallen into that same like almost drawn a graph of the arc of the the book and said, okay, here's the, the story I need to follow is this graph. And because it seems like that's what the all these kind of books are leading us to do. But let me point out. Anybody can write a book on how to do anything, right? So I could write a book on how to cook a lobster tail properly and put it out there on Amazon and Kindle and do an audiobook. That doesn't mean that I know what I'm talking about. It just means right. I put a book out. So uh, I love that you did it, but I, I don't know. I kind of, I'm, I'm more of a go with my gut kind of person. I do the same thing musically. I really, I don't sit down and try and follow a formula of any kind. I just let what happens happens just the same way I do my podcast. Well, I, I love that you do it that way and I really respect it. And I love the way your podcast flows. I think it's, it's amazing. And and we've talked a little bit about how I do questions and you do it free flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's amazing. I, 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 I've learned uh, a lot about learning how to be myself in my writing in the yeah. last year and a half. Thanks to Bryony. Mm-hmm. um and uh and thanks to that that relationship and feedback um it's been amazing and i i'm getting back to writing with her now you know sending our uh, my my manuscripts actually right in front of me and by the way my opening line is it's not that great but it's uh it's very important if you know what i mean because it comes back and it's this is the big one and uh it's about uh a a, a moment that happens in the circus uh and and uh Bryony told me, you know, that works. That's that works because what what happens just after that is is the big one. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, it's it's uh, yeah. So it's it's been an interesting thing. I will say, um, uh, I I really appreciate everything you said about my books, and I really appreciate uh, my my writing. Sorry, and 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 the fact that you you're encouraging it and you're encouraging me to do it. And I I will love to share with that you share that stuff with you in the future. And uh, I can't wait for your book, Scott. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I think it's great. Um, I'll, I'll just I'll just tell you uh, that I have been trying to write for a long time, and actually the the name of my mental health book uh, it kind of flows into what we're talking about, which was uh, the name of my mental health book. It was gonna be it was gonna be called Begin at the Beginning, then Begin Again, mm. and. And the reason for that is my life has been a series of beginnings. I began as a writer in my early 20s, and I had a book that is also now being worked on, uh, finally. And uh, I wrote the whole book. Uh, I had an agent interested who was sure that it would get published. Mm -hmm. I was thinking I was going to be this high-flying young writer. I was really cocky, really overconfident. And... uh, I had a bipolar episode and I deleted most of the book and they Mm. had a copy and I said, you can't use that. I refused to let that out. Um, And it wasn't a finished copy. And I had like chapter three, chapter seven and chapter 15 left Mm. on my hard drive. 
And uh, the same thing happened when I, I went to music college and music university. You know, I, I studied things and I began them and then I dropped out because I had bipolar episodes. And I was when I was 23, I was about to be the CEO of a, a big company um, and in San Francisco, which was an amazing moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a subsidiary company of, of a, and, and they took me from being a salesman, raising money for them and said, we want to make you the, the CEO of this company. And uh, I had a bipolar episode and it ruined a lot of things. So I just thought I'd bring those two bits together and tell you that um, it's nice to talk to you now because I feel like all that is it's it's in the past and I'm working for the future now. And it's really amazing to be finally on with my books and finally doing that stuff and then rewriting the book that I deleted you know? Right. Well, that's great. I love that. And, and, you know, let me just interject one thing and, and maybe it's that forever the optimist that I am. Uh, but I look at things that didn't happen that sounded like, oh, this will change my life. This would have been the greatest thing ever. Maybe it wouldn't have, you know, maybe if you had become right. the CEO of that company, that would have been your entire life. You would have been consumed by that job. You would never have written anything. You would have never connected with, the things that, uh, you know, you have over the past few years, like who knows really, but I never look at anything that didn't happen as a bad thing. I look at it as potentially it being a good thing that it didn't happen. If that makes any sense. I think that makes so much sense. And I will, I I know we've we've talked a lot today and I I feel like I've talked your ear off. No. Um, but no, it's lovely talking to you. I but I, I just uh, when I when you said that the the last the sort of story that I will tell you quickly that I think uh, you will resonate with, and I I, I feel like um, I feel like I should introduce you to Bryony. Now I've talked about her so much mm-hmm. um, because she's wonderful, and and uh, maybe you'll interview her. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and uh, she's so she's such a kick-ass lady, really wonderful. And uh, and 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 uh, you you guys get on. But here's one of the things: is I wrote a story on my Facebook recently. I don't know if you saw it, but it was a story about what happened when I was 26, and I was flown down by the same people. So I the same people that I walked away from because of a bipolar episode uh, when I was 24. When I was 26, they offered me a job again, and uh, they put me on a private jet. And I was amazed. I'd never experienced anything like this before. It was just crazy to be on an eight-person little flight from uh, San Francisco to L.A. Uh, it was just, to me, it was like heaven. I was like, oh, my God. You know, this this guy's here with their iPads out playing on video games. And I'm just staring out the window of this tiny little plane thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys now. I'm being yeah. flown down in a private jet. You've arrived, and, uh, yeah. And I, well, kind of. And what happened when I arrived was uh, I looked out the window and there was um, a greeter there who was uh, one of the stewardesses. And um, I got off the plane and we started talking and I got my bags and then she came over to me and we started talking. We talked for two hours straight and I didn't leave the, 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 she finally called me a taxi. She said she had to get home to Malibu. So I said, fine. So she called me a taxi. I got in the taxi. I said to the taxi driver, I just met my wife. And and she texted me something which I can't repeat, but it was really, really lovely and sweet. But uh-huh. I keep it close to close to my heart. And uh, and I thought, I'm like, my God, I, I did just meet my wife. She feels the same way. And uh, we went on a date about two days later. I was waiting, heartbroken because I was thinking, is she going to text me back? And she finally did. And 
we found a monastery in Malibu. Uh, there is a, a, a monastery hidden in Malibu. I don't know where it is. I can't find it on Google. I've looked and I've looked. Um, maybe you can help me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but there is a, there is a monastery, uh, like a, a little secluded area with a lake and uh, it's wonderful. And monks and a guy that was on the water in a little boat. And uh, we kissed. And it was wonderful. And the next day, I took her out to Disneyland. I said, "We're going to Disneyland," and we had maybe we had a short affair, and it was just wonderful, and it changed my life. And then I had a bipolar episode. <laughs> you see the theme <laughs> right, in, my, yep. in my stories. Yep. She was so kind that she sat with me. Actually, the the friend that listened to your show earlier and made the compliment about your show was someone who skyped with us, um, and he. Uh, he he said to me all sorts of funny things like he said she's a mormon you know she'll want 12 kids <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 i said no you know she's she's wonderful she's amazing and i just i'm so in love with her but she realized something was wrong with me and so she booked me a flight home she said you need to go be with your family i don't know what's wrong you've changed from the man who took me to disneyland and who took me to the monastery you've wow. changed from that guy and you've become over this this month and a bit you've you've become uh, someone else, and I don't know who you are. Mm. And I and she said, and I love you. I'm I'm in love with you. And I and I. So she took me. She got me to the airport. She got me on a plane. I came home, and she skyped with me. And then two months passed like that, and I didn't Skype her. I didn't call her. I didn't even notice time was passing. Mm-hmm. I was so ill. And then I texted her, and I said, I'm going to be back in California. Uh. I I miss you. And she texts me back quite rightly, as you might expect. She texts me back. I don't think we should see each other ever again. Uh. And it was terrible. And it was heartbreaking. So I wrote this story on my Facebook. And why I say you and Bryony would get on was Bryony came straight in with the same kind of advice. Really? What she said. <laughs> she said, you don't know uh, how you would have fit with her because her relationship with God and with her religion it's something that you don't actually have. I do have my own relationship with spirituality, just sure. not with a Mormon God, right, you know? Yeah. And and she said, you uh, you don't know how powerful that would be. And I said, you know what? It's funny because a few years later, I caught up with her on Facebook. And she, I said to her, I, I so thank you for everything that we went through when we were younger. And she said, no, thank you. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't mean no, thank you. <laughs> wow. She said, no, absolutely. She said, no, thank you. And I said, that's really lovely. I'm so happy for you to see that you're married now. And she was married to someone who was a Mormon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought maybe when I reflect on it, maybe Bryony's right. And uh, so I posted again and I posted something which we're going to talk about on my show because I think I'm talking your show to, to I think I'm, I'm going over the limit. <laughs> there's, there's no limit. Um, <laughs> oh, I, well, could, well, I could break I, it I'll into say... nine episodes. That's fine. Well, I will just say I don't want to. I, I I'm just worried about the time. Sorry, yeah, I, no. I just love talking to you, Scott. Yeah, it, same it's here. Great. Um, sorry, but uh, I I I'm a big fan of a type of music. It, it's changed my life. It's moved my life, and it's uh, it's mostly what I listen to. And I don't know if you'll know what it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna test you now, Scott. Okay. Right. I, I'm not good at music. Oh right. Well, here's a go. Okay. Here, here, we'll have a go. All right. Do you know what Plunderphonics is? I was going to ask what I want, what I would win if I knew, but I have no idea. 
All right. Well, it doesn't matter. You you still win my friendship because oh, I'm so lucky to be your friend. I'm 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 very. I, no, no. The the winner is me in this in this relationship. Oh, I got to tell you, very, very mutual, um, my friend. It's uh, it's been a great uh, many years. Yeah, it has certainly. And we got we got to we got to interact and 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 uh, we definitely have to uh, uh, co- what's the word collaborate more yes. in the future. Um, I would do and, that. Uh, yeah, I would love to do that. Um, Pondophonics is remixes of uh, used material, like lots of 1950s adverts, lots of uh, pieces of uh, pop culture remixed oh. into songs. Yeah, changed okay. uh, the the and so 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 just for reference for your listeners, a uh, few artists to look up: Melody Sheep, Pogo, and someone I'm trying to interview. I will admit is a guy called Chet Trio, and he, re- he, re- he remixes Rick and Morty, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, and he, he turns Rick and Morty episodes into whole songs huh. that sum up the episode. He manages to sum up the episode in a song. And it's a real talent. And so when Bryony gave me this advice, I, I posted a, a, a song that I, I really recommend to your listeners to try this music out. It's called Data and Picard by Pogo. And the chorus is, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And it's Patrick Stewart singing. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, so so that's my, my ending to that story is that I, I realize that in, you're right with your advice about saying things are, you know, things are not what you what you might expect of them. And you don't know uh, what the, being a CEO might have been like. I might never have written a book. I might have never done a podcast, definitely. And I love doing podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might never have, uh, I might never have, uh, you know, you know, on some level, maybe I wouldn't have gone through all the things I went through, but on another level, those things have made me who I am. And you know, Scott, for the first time in my life, I can say, I quite like who I am. That's, that's the greatest gift in the world. You know, if, if you can, if you could be alone with yourself and feel content and appreciate yourself as, as the person that you are. And you're not putting anything bad into the world. It's not like if you were an axe murderer and you come home and you go, you know, I killed three <laughs> people today, but I like myself. Like, that's not what I mean. Like, uh, But I think that's a very important component. And I think that this quote unquote isolation um, that we're experiencing now is an opportunity for people to do that. Or it's an opportunity for people to take a class on something that they've always wanted to do with with the extra oh, time. Yeah. They, like, there's so many things that we can do. But like I said, you're out there making the things that you want to happen happen. Now, I'm going to throw this out Thank to our listeners so in the L.A. area because I know I have a lot of listeners there. And I am even though I lived there for a while, I'm not that familiar because I didn't venture out a whole lot. If you know where this monastery is, write me and let me know. I, 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 little, would, I would love that. I would love to help Joshua open up the wound of that horrible uh, relationship that was short lived and go visit the place that uh, love fell apart. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's that's a wonderful way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, it's really not. Uh, but now I have to ask me. you, so you, re- you reconnected with her on Facebook. How many children does she have? Just the one. Uh, the last time that I checked. Ah. Uh, I, I Unfortunately, I lost her. Um, uh, she changed her last name. Yeah. And uh, when I when I got to rehab and I changed my uh, uh, Facebook and I had a fresh start in life, and I, you know, I felt so much better. I, I don't have a Facebook anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't say her name on, on the show, yeah. obviously. But, uh, you know, um, I, I always relate it to that poem. Do you know the poem, Jenny Kiss Me? I don't. 
uh, I, I don't want to recite poetry at you, but I mean, it's a really short poem, Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you, do you want me to do it real do quick? Do it, yeah. Jenny, it's by Lee Hunt. It's a very old poem, so I'm, I'm pretty allowed to do this, I'm pretty sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I changed this poem to her name, but I won't do it now. But Jenny kissed me when we met. Jumping from the chair, she sat in. Time, you thief who love to get sweets into your list, put that in. Say I'm weary, say I'm sad. Say that health and wealth have missed me. Say I'm growing old, but add, Jenny, kiss me. Very nice. Which I love. Yeah, that's very nice. It's lovely, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's real nice. And, you know, I wanted to be a poet when I was younger, and I wasn't very good. Uh, but I once wrote a poem, and, uh, and I, I, I read it to a girl, and she did kiss me. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Well done. It was it was it was my it was a little poem about uh, being hit by a car in San Francisco. I was in San Francisco and I got hit by a car quite forcibly, and I sat in tw- Sparky's twenty four hour diner and I uh, was um, literally bleeding, and I had no idea. Uh, my leg was was was. was, was but blood pooling in my shoe. I keep talking about blood on your yeah, shoe. So I'm you, so sorry. You're, just, you're just leaking all over the place here. <laughs> it's a, yeah, and I, well, I sat there, and and I and I and I uh, I just bring it up because I was thinking I was thinking Scott might like this poem, and I might send you it so you could put a link to it because it's online. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, but um, yeah, I could read it real quick if you want. Yeah, please do. But but go ahead and uh, and send me the link too, and I'll put that in the show notes for people because if That's they great. if they enjoy it, they might want to read it again. Yeah, sorry guys. I just wanted to. I'm sorry if I'm plugging my poetry. I'm not a poet. There's nothing to plug. I just like yeah. that uh, I've, I've got this, and I know that Scott loves hearing all different kinds of literature stuff. I do. So I found this today, and I thought. So I'm sitting in a 24-hour diner, and I'm bleeding. So the, the poem goes: uh, Call me at Sparky's, 12:30 with lime, a burger, a coke, the bruises from the bloke who hit me adjacent, all lit up with lime, Asian and nervous, expecting no legs, strolling even though it's a green light. So call me as Sparky's. I'm bleeding a little, but at least it's 3.30 and I have Coke with lime. And that's Sparky's. You like it? I like it. I like it. It's a little neat. It's a little neat lyric. It tells the whole story in just a short amount of time. Well, I, 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 that's what I tried to do. I was no good as a poet. I was not. My brother used to. No, it's a difficult thing. It's a really it's a it's a it's very specific art. But I love those. It's more like a lyric that I think. That's why I couldn't be a poet, because every time I've tried to sit down and write a poem, I was actually writing lyrics. Right. It makes sense. And funnily enough, the girl who kissed me after she read that 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 piece uh, later on, she wrote to me and she said, um, excuse me. Uh, I don't want to be rude, but everything you send to me since that has just been lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> and she was a brilliant little poet. She was wonderful. And so she said everything. Yeah. So I thought, well, I've learned my lesson. I'm a lyricist of some exactly. kind. Exactly. <laughs> there is a big difference. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you, Joshua, for coming on the show. I, I, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I'm glad we finally got the chance to do it. I'm looking forward to you turning the tables on me and interviewing me on my show or on your show in just a minute. Oh, yeah. On my show, yeah. in just a minute, yeah. yeah. I don't even know what show I'm it's on. It's going to be great. Yeah. So yeah, we're definitely. Yeah, I, I wanted to. You know what? My interviewer has been coming out during this episode because I have been writing down notes of questions that I want to ask you oh, as we've gone along. <laughs> I've done it now. <laughs> well, tune into the now. note show. Just just start after you're done listening to this episode. Now that we're wrapping up, 
uh, just start listening to the note show. There's a, a handful of episodes since it's just come back online, Thank and uh, every one of them is great. Very exciting, wonderful guests. Thank okay. you, Joshua, for taking some time to come on my show. I'm so I, I, happy. Just seems like such a weak word when it comes to what I feel. It's it's amazing to see your journey over these many years that we've known each other and to see where you are now, having overcome oh, the, the episodes, the things that you sacrificed voluntary and involuntary during the, the episodes. You have come mm-hmm. so far and you're putting such good things into the world. I appreciate the hell out of you. Thank you for fighting through this, for finding new ways to deal with things and to help other people as well. You You're just awesome, man. Oh, dude. Well, let me just, I, I can't tell you how much that means to me. And Scott, I'll just sum it up in one word. So it's, I, I love you, man. I absolutely love you. I think you're a wonderful person. Thank you. I love you too, brother. You're, you're a great guy. It's been, it's been such an honor to know you all these years and, and see where online. you are now. Honest online. Yeah, it's shared. Thank you so much. <laughs> and thanks for having me on the show. It's been a wonderful, wonderful adventure. Absolutely. You keep at it, brother. We'll stay in touch and, uh, well, you'll, you'll interview me in a minute. <laughs> In a minute. Yep, let's looking forward to it. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you. Bye-bye. How can you not just be inspired by this guy? I mean, he's battled through so much, and yet here he is. He's helping people out. He's helping promote them on his show. He's uh, doing great interviews. He's creating a children's book. He's got a book coming out on you know, bipolar disorder. He's got his, uh, his, his blog that he did that is uh, very, very impactful and really touching a lot of people. And you know, it's, it's really amazing what you can do if you just try. You know, if you focus on uh, doing good things and putting good things out in the world, it's not hard to actually do it. So that's, uh, that's this week's episode. Be back with uh, another episode next week with another very special guest that I'm very excited about doing that interview here in a couple of days. So thank you for sharing. Write me, scott at scotthaskin.com. Thank you very much for uh, coming by and listening to another show. Check me out on The Note Show this Saturday. Cheers. Cheers.